Specialization Successfully applying tradecraft presents us with two challenges that need to be satisfied. On the one hand, as mentioned above, too much tradecraft can be counterproductive to social cohesion and organization. On the other hand, successful tradecraft is an art that is not easy to master for everyone in every situation. The solution for these challenges is specialization. Entrepreneurs can excel in providing tradecraft services to other actors in the marketplace by providing means of covert communication, opaque trading rooms, untraceable transportation, or insured pseudonyms. This frees other actors from having to unduly invest into these abilities and keeps a culture of paranoia from seeping into everything we do. However, Specialization cannot serve as excuse for anyone to ignore this subject or drop the awareness for its necessity. Another area unique to our situation is the integration into the larger economy. Since a sufficient market size and diversity can only be hoped for on the long run, we are required to interact and integrate with other markets unless we want to find ourselves in a substance economy. However, this integration comes with great risk. These facts call for a special career that is especially interesting to people that have not yet found their vocation, or who have left their previous vocation and are looking for low capital opportunities. The Proxy Merchant A proxy merchant is a bridge connecting the second realm to the first realm, while keeping risks at bay. Many ways of bridge building are conceivable, from people who handle exchanges between second realm money and official currencies, to shopping and trading agents. We leave it to the reader to invent his own niche. Security and Defense Let's face it, both the first and the second realm are not flower meadows, where nothing can go wrong, and only peaceful and well-meaning people roam. While most people, most of the time, are not violent and do not personally partake in robbery, most simply outsource it to the taxman. There are some that resort to force to achieve their goals. In the eyes of the first realm, the second realm is outlaw territory, inhabited by outlaws. And that is exactly the view other outlaws will have as well. We cannot and should not resort to first realm protection and security services least we give up our independence. Therefore, it is necessary that we provide these services ourselves and develop a mindset to counter this challenge. Since this subject cannot be covered completely within this book, we will only give it some thought and invite entrepreneurs in this area to follow up. Security starts with keeping the peace. While this might sound obvious, it is nevertheless often forgotten. Keeping the peace means that one is active in not starting trouble, and to stay out of harm's way before a conflict can start or escalate. We must refrain from provoking others to attack us by the behavior we display. It starts with not employing violence ourselves unless it happens in self-defense. Not defrauding others, not breaking agreements, not bragging and challenging. Quietness, integrity, and honesty combined with confidence, reduces the risk of conflict greatly. 
To be only passive, however, does not help. Successful defense starts with preparedness and preemptive action. This not only includes the setup of defensive installations, but also the choice of location and especially the active limitation of hostile intelligence gathering by potential adversaries. Furthermore, it is profitable to employ low-profile counterintelligence activities to develop an overview of potential threats and the ability to detect actions against us before they strike. Choice of location for our temporary autonomous zones is a crucial task. Three factors shall be emphasized here. First, our installations and property can be inviting for aggressors or uninteresting to them. A big sign saying outlaw territory for rich capitalists is a bad idea, but more subtle attributes can also lead to trouble. Second, the first line of defense is access control. Every club owner knows that good bouncers keep nuisances away. Being careful about who enters our places drastically reduces the risk of bad surprises. Third, paths of approach to a protected place need to be known, observed, and controlled. Knowing that an attack is imminent and being able to both delay the attacker as well as the number of directions he can attack from puts one in a vastly better position than presenting oneself on a silver tray. To give an almost perfect example for such a place, let us describe a private club that is located in a major city in Europe. The club rooms are on the top floor of a 20-something story skyscraper in the commercial district. There are three ways to get to the place. An elevator, two emergency staircases, and the helipad on the roof. The elevator and the staircases are guarded by security personnel during the club's business hours and equipped with a CCTV system controlled from within the club's perimeter. The only way to enter the rooms for a regular visitor is to call the club while waiting at the elevator on the ground floor, and if access is granted, the elevator is sent down with a lift boy that has to unlock the top floor with a key. The floor below is an office with different business hours that is integrated into the club's alarm system. In case of a raid, the attackers can be delayed for several minutes while everyone within the club is notified immediately. Potential troublemakers can be repelled far away from the protected zone. This keeps the place peaceful while allowing anyone to take necessary steps before the attackers enter the place. Ideally, some evacuation procedures involving the helipad could be implemented. Any surprise attack, short of total annihilation, is close to impossible. This is, of course, a very elaborate and expensive operation, but it can serve as an inspiration for our own. For more information, please go back to the section about temporary autonomous zones. What if an attack really takes place? As already mentioned above, the defense against a state actor can only consist of slowing him down or temporarily fending him off. One cannot win against a huge state, only die trying. All one can do is to limit the impact of a raid by separating evidence from the persons at risk, deniability, and by escaping and later recovering. In case of another outlaw attacking, a serious cost-benefit analysis has to take place and lead to an active, victory-oriented defense. Before anyone's thoughts run amok here, let us be clear. 
that we are not talking about waging war, including counterattacking the adversary on its own territory. It's about limiting harm, not big victories in history book coverage. Without going too deep into the subject, it is worth noticing that the question of coordinating defense is harder for an individualistic society than for a collectivist. The reason for this is that defense is a numbers game. The number, strength, and preparation of the forces involved, as well as the ability to quickly coordinate, decide about the success of any kind of standoff. This does require individuals to delegate leadership of the forces one joins, something few of us are prepared or willing to do. However, thinking deeply about the issue at hand can serve as preparation for this. Effective defense is based on mobility and flexibility, the dynamic grouping, regrouping, dispersing of actors, as well as the on-demand centralization and decentralization of command at the required level of hierarchy. It is necessary to develop strategies in this area that are known to those that commit to partake in these actions, should they be required, so that the individual consent to supporting and partaking can be assured and a realistic estimate of available resources is possible. From the above, it should be obvious that this is an area of specialization where entrepreneurs can make their living, as it is already done today. It should also be obvious that these services need to actually be bought by us and not ignored. To inspire potential entrepreneurs in this industry who want to be active in the second realm, two technologies shall be presented that promise to be useful in our specific situation. Anonymized Remote Controlled Access Control One day there will be a banging on the door, leading to one of our protected places. Police, we have a search warrant. Now is the time for the ice-cold Second Realm Security Provider to prove what he is worth. Sheepishly pressing the button to immediately open the door and putting everyone inside into peril, or doing nothing except sending out a warning to everyone and letting the attackers work their way through the concrete reinforced gate. The combination of remote CCTV perimeter control and communication anonymity greatly reduces the potential consequences for the remote bouncer and gives him the freedom to act in the interest of his customers. To further add security, multiple anonymous operators located at different unknown locations could be required to agree on an action so that neither infiltration, bribery, blackmail, or pure fear can undermine the security of the temporary autonomous zone. Anonymized Remote Controlled Defense Systems In a future further away, the previous access control systems can be extended to incorporate active, less lethal defense systems. The currently available robotic weapons platforms, similar to those that are used at the intra-Korean border, could, in the future, be integrated into the arsenal of specialized, temporary autonomous zone defense contractors. Again, anonymous communication and remote sensors are the foundation, but this time extended by random task assignments to anonymous off-location operators, so that it becomes impossible for any third party to find proof of who pulled the trigger to fend off the attacking street gang. Contrary to what most people are used to, 
Security is nothing that can only be left to the experts and professionals. Even though the security and defense industry provides specialized services, to preserve long-term autonomy, it is necessary to counterbalance the power any security and defense provider can accumulate. While one should be prepared to procure security services on the market and thus pay for them, it is also necessary to have a counterweight for worst-case scenarios in which a security provider attempts to monopolize his position. The time-tested method is to not give up one's own preparedness and abilities of defense. Everyone should be prepared to resist a security provider, willing to do so as soon as it is necessary, and to be eternally vigilant to not let such a potential threat slip our attention. This does, of course, require coordinated action by many, since a single person will not be able to contain such a danger alone. Therefore, it must be part of our culture to keep a watchful eye on those we pay to defend us. Remember, it is crucial for the lasting liberty and stability of the second realm that everyone is willing, watchful, and able to withstand attempts by security providers to monopolize their industry. Do not let yourself be scared off by the previous section. Active defense measures are commonplace and often go unnoticed to most people. But in the club scene, red light industry, or bouncers, most of the time nothing happens, and most of the remaining times only minor quarrels take place. Life is different from what is shown on TV. In most less developed countries, the provision of personal and group defense is commonplace since the state does not bother protecting one outlaw against the other or the public against the outlaws. Being prepared and attackers knowing that you are takes most of the risk out of the game. This is true for any potential aggressor, state or not. Let us hope that preparation is enough. The Blessings of Technology Many of the tasks we are confronted with seem to be impossible to solve at first glance. And just a few decades ago, that would have been a correct assessment. Luckily for us, technology advantages of the last 30 years open new opportunities. Two areas in which technology can help us shall be explored in the following. The oppression by the first realm forces us to employ methods to conceal our actions and to leave no evidence behind. Anonymous communication technologies, many of which are available right now, allow us to send and receive messages, surf the web, and offer digital services in a way that neither sender nor recipient can be identified by third parties. Darknet systems give us the leverage we need to operate our own access-controlled and anonymous communication networks as an inconspicuous overlay of the Internet. Encryption allows us to send messages only intended recipients can read. Digital signatures enable us to digitally sign contracts in unforgeable ways so that remote and pseudonymous trading can be implemented. Anonymous, untraceable digital cash makes our transactions invisible to outsiders and breaks any attempt to freeze all of our assets or identify the volume or parties of our trades. Mobility and remoteness empowers us to act without being physically present, thus removing operators from environments of high threat and making things like secure counter-surveillance, blackmail-resistant physical access control, and physical trading machines possible. Secret sharing and secret splitting 
gives us opportunities to distribute decisions and secrets over many parties that can only act when a predefined threshold of agreements is reached. This can be used to both create secure escrow systems and strong pseudonyms that are able to bear long-term reputation. Distributed content. The ability to trigger an action only if remote, often anonymous, predefined parties agree on the action. This makes coercion, blackmail, and sting operations against us much harder, while giving the involved parties plausible deniability. Geocaching offers some solutions for physical trades in which the selling party is at risk. Placing the goods at a hidden location and communicating the coordinates to the buyer afterwards allows goods to travel without both parties having to meet. However, these technologies come with a downside when we have to enforce contracts and detect fraud in our groups. Our mindset on creating evidence for mediation and arbitration cases as well as the enforceability of contracts, has to change. Bonded escrows are schemes where the maximum penalty that could occur in a fraudulent trade needs to be insured with a party of high reputation or reachability. This allows us to enforce contracts even if one or more parties involved disappear in the fog of anonymity after committing their crimes, making fraud uneconomical. Unique tamper-proof security seals that are hard to forge and are destroyed on tampering combined with time-stamped video recording and various challenge and response schemes enable us to create very secure evidence in case we have to prove that a good meets the agreed-on quality and quantity. Combined with bonded escrow and geocached delivery, it is one of many schemes to anonymously trade goods without putting the seller at risk of capture nor the buyer at risk to be defrauded. As a general rule, we need to find methods to create evidence necessary for potential conflict resolution processes without giving away identity to uninvited third parties. Several of these methods have already been found, but it is not the purpose of this book to get into too much detail, but to demonstrate the feasibility of this strategy and inspire people to find their own solutions in the tactical arena. Shared Services In the first realm, the following is called Institutional Services and provided, officially, and with licenses to legitimize the control exercised. Institutions become social organisms on their own, insulating themselves against competition and abolishment. In the second realm, competition Diversity and choice are the norm, which is why we call these shared services. Life itself, and especially a strategy of active opposition, comes with a variety of risks. While many of these risks can be limited or mitigated, living and acting completely without taking risk is impossible. Only people of independent wealth are able to face these risks on their own or at least believe that they can. It is crucial that we create solutions for this problem by establishing networks of mutual aid. There are two reasons for this. First, we have to enable people to not fall back into state-controlled welfare systems in case of disaster. 
Liberty requires separation from the state, in these areas as well. To be free, the slave must first refuse the master's rule. Contrary to the offers of the state, this area needs to be covered by entrepreneurs and mutual aid agreements on a social level. Helping out our friends in need, while at the same time encouraging and helping them to help themselves again, should be the goal. If this is reached best by commercial operations, or on a social level, remains to be discovered by the marketplace. However, nothing on the market happens without for-profit or social entrepreneurs acting and implementing solutions. Since we are confronted by oppression by the state, a unique set of risks asks to be faced and handled. Some of the things we do might lead to individuals facing the wrath of the first realm, be it imprisonment or asset forfeiture. To enable people to take the required steps, risk-sharing in form of insurances for our businesses is required. This can happen on a low level of emotional support by visiting prisoners, or better even, to help out with lawyers' fees and economic support for the families at home. Apart from the increased ability of individuals to take more risks, it also helps by providing additional social cohesion. However, care should be taken to not encourage people to take risks indiscriminately or to become solely dependent on the support provided to them by the Second Realm Society. Internal justice systems are another example of shared services. We are not going to progress into a utopian future where fraud, theft, and aggression disappear. Instead, we have to find ways to provide conflict resolution, enforcement, and restitution systems. This requires ways to securely register contracts and retain evidence in case of future disagreements without risking that uninvited third parties gain any information. Using these contract registries and evidence retention systems, affected parties can call on mediation and arbitration providers and hand over the facts necessary to decide the case. Combined with escrow and bonding services, enforcement becomes feasible without having to rely on aggressive law enforcement in commercial settings. Furthermore, Strong pseudonyms and reputation systems can provide means to reduce future risk of questionable actors and serve as a social restraint against repeat violations. Trading posts that provide anonymous deposit boxes that are accessible through tradable digital warehouse bonds are one solution to protect both buyers and sellers by reducing the need to conduct trades in person. Another idea is the use of trading tables that can be reached from both sides only by hard-to-observe corridors and that feature a barrier between the parties that cannot be easily climbed over and which conceal the identity of both parties. Buyer and seller hold each other with one hand during the trade, preventing one side from running away while one preventing one side from running away with only one half of the transaction having taken place, 
and use the other hand to move goods between them. Essentially, these trading tables resemble a bank counter, except in protecting both sides equally. Both these services could be provided by competing business clubs or trading halls that differ not only in price, but also by the methods they provide for secure trade. Another institution, provided by the state system, that must be replaced by second realm shared services is money and its transfer and settlement. Money is an incredibly powerful cultural symbol that offers ways for mutual recognition and can represent the core values of a society. It is likely that the second realm will focus on independent currencies, probably weights of gold or silver, and should do so to separate itself from the first realm. Furthermore, anonymous digital money and transaction systems can overcome geographical limitations and first realm regulation and control. Converting first realm into second realm money and bridging the gap between physical and digital monies is a task that makes a special kind of entrepreneur necessary. The over-the-counter exchanger. An OTC exchanger will buy and sell one currency for another, with the transaction being immediately settled for the customer. While this business comes with some definite risk, it is also accessible to people with limited capital or reputation, since no paper trail is created and the settlement risks are minimal. Networks of OTC exchangers connected with digital currency allow global, almost immediate transfers of value at minimal cost, with low risk for the customer, making the second realm virtually independent from state-controlled banking and money. Security through financial penalties. As a closing remark on this chapter, it is important to recall that financial penalties alone are not sufficient to provide security in trade. The state is an opponent with deep pockets that can outbid us and wage a war of resources against escrow and bonding systems. It is therefore necessary to also create a social system that keeps this threat in mind and puts leverage into our hands, lest we want to be outspent. The Second Realm Philosophy So far this text has dealt with rather depressing subjects, like security, defense, analysis of our situation, and the threat of oppression we face. In this chapter, the focus will be on the fundamental whys, the motivation for choosing this struggle, and what it promises us. Why all this trouble? Are we not free already? Do we not enjoy a high level of prosperity? Why bother? Because we are not nearly as free as we should be as we are maybe meant to be. And what is that liberty we talk about? What is liberty? Without going too deep into the philosophies of liberty here, one has to differentiate between two major lines of libertarian thought. The one is the argument from the consequence, that increased liberty raises prosperity, and that prosperity is the goal to target so that hunger and other perils disappear. While we agree on the preferability of the end, 
our argument is another. That liberty is preferable in and of itself. That liberty alone is reason enough. The foundation for liberty is a small but powerful word, autonomy. It comes from the Greek words autos, meaning self, and nomos, meaning law. It refers to the ability, right or wish of something, to be governed by its own law. Anarchism is therefore not what the media tells us. The presence of chaos or lawlessness but instead the presence of law chosen by those that are covered by the law, contrary to a law given by rulers to handle subjects. Anarchy, no ruler. We will be referring to autonomy in that sense. The basic ethical axiom of liberty is individual autonomy, that each and every person has the right, that is, is morally justified to be the final authority over the law he or she chooses for him or herself and that anything that violates this right is a crime. It is important to realize that this axiom of individual autonomy implies several things. First, autonomy only extends to the person asserting this right for himself. It does not imply the right to also govern others. By making a decision about the rules that govern me, I cannot also make a decision on what rules others are bound to. It is only the autos, myself, that falls under that law, no one else. Second, in asserting this right, I also have to grant this right to everyone else. This means that under no circumstance may my actions undermine the autonomy of anyone else. Third, autonomy deals with rules we choose as governing principles for ourselves. But these rules do not have to be realizable, nor can we force anyone else to help us enforce them against ourselves and the universe. Whether we like it or not, the realization of our rules is limited by the laws of nature. While we can decide that gravity does not apply to ourselves, it does not change the applicability of gravity. Also, we cannot force others to make our rules work for us, since that would violate their autonomy. At most, we can ask for help, not demand it. Just deciding to be always able to eat what we want cannot bind anyone else to provide us with food, or the universe to become a giant vending machine. Since the application of individual autonomy has these implied limits, and because multiple autonomous individuals can create conflicting laws, it is necessary to define the boundaries in which autonomy can exist. This sphere of autonomy is known as property. It is the physical boundaries in which a person is the sole source of law. It is physical because only physical interaction can limit the autonomy of another physical being. And it is necessary so that individuals have room to decide for themselves and know if their decisions are justified. Any attempt to deny the concept of physical, individual property is an attack on the concept of individual autonomy. Both are interlinked inseparably by the universe we live in. 
This brings us to the second fundamental statement about liberty. Liberty is not pure independence or self-sufficiency. Since most of us are unable to satisfy all wants solely by ourselves, and because our spheres of autonomy border upon those of others, we are required to interact with each other, mate, trade, socialize, etc. The only possible way to do this while preserving individual autonomy is to interact on a voluntary basis, meaning that everyone interacting must do so by his or her own will, and that the only acceptable interaction is one in which both parties agree fully. Any other interaction amounts to a violation of individual autonomy and must be considered a crime. From this, it follows that even a temporary delegation of decisions to others and any kind of contract or law we choose for social groups must be unanimously consensual by all parties delegating or receiving delegation and all parties joining a group or forming a group that another joins. Anything not meeting this standard violates individual autonomy. Where no such consent can be achieved, the conflicting parties may only end their interaction and separate. Individual autonomy is also reciprocal, as mentioned above. Asserting this right also means that we have to grant this right to others. When we deny it to others, we deny it for ourselves. This leads to three major consequences in social interaction. First, any violation of autonomy, a crime, can only be met and punished by an equal reduction of autonomy of the offending party and the reasserting of the autonomy of the offended party. Crimes are therefore answered by first making the victim whole and secondly by applying the same harm to the culprit. This constitutes the basic maxim of justice under individual autonomy and the highest justified punishment in any case. However, it leaves room for the victim to pardon the offender whenever the victim chooses, or to voluntarily agree with him on a different form of restitution. Second, the only party entitled to restitution is the victim. The only party liable to restitution is the offender. An action that has no victim cannot lead to punishment. Any other kind of justice would be criminal in itself because it violates the individual autonomy of parties that did not act. Third, asserting one's autonomy also implies the right to defend against violations thereof under the same principles of justice mentioned above. For that, a crime must be underway, and any defense must be relational to the violation. Shooting someone because he might come to your house and steal someday is clearly not permissible, and killing a person for trespass is not either. Fourth, even if someone has violated our autonomy, or has not asserted his own autonomy, does not imply that this person has no autonomy that must be respected by us. A tax collector does not lose his right to autonomy and it is not justified to hang him from the nearest tree. Nor does the tax subsidy stolen from your pocket entitle you to use a service over and above the justified amount which would have been found as restitution.
we shall end our excursion into the philosophy of liberty here. Many more elaborate thoughts have been written by others. Instead, one should stop for a minute and think about the above. Does it make sense? Does it not also ask us to live that way? Is it not so right that it demands our support? What is it that liberty really gives us? Surely it is not prosperity that makes liberty so important in the first place, though it is a nice side benefit. On the one hand, liberty is the fundament to our humanity. It is that what leads us to self-motivation, self-determination, but it is also what allows us to interact pleasantly with others. Liberty is peace. Not a peace based on threats of mutual annihilation or cowardice, but instead founded on what makes us special as humans. Liberty is what gives us the room to become more human, to live in accord with our ethical and moral beliefs, to progress, to be in peace with others. In short, one cannot be fully human without also being in liberty. First Implications The ethics of individual autonomy have consequences for the culture of the second realm and the interactions we have with the first realm. We do have to respect the individual autonomy of first realm persons and even the decisions they have foolishly delegated to institutions and governments beyond their control. This does not mean that the resulting systems are ethical but they are the will of many. It is thus not for us to take down those systems, but rather to offer ethical alternatives, to open doors into the second realm where people can fully embrace their humanity through liberty. This is required for several reasons. First, it allows us to keep the moral high ground. While this is not a reason in itself, it justifies our position and shows respect to the individuals on the other side, reducing emotional opposition against the second realm. Second, it is necessary to preserve the ethical integrity of the second realm. Michael Gaddy said, The battlefield of freedom is littered with the bodies of those who believe in compromise. Compromising on our ethical foundations in relation to the first realm, will also taint these foundations within the second realm. This calls us to keep the peace with the first realm as long as it is up to us, to not intervene in the first realm, to radically keep the two realms separate. There is no place for standoffs. This strict separation and the respect for individual autonomy also implies that we do not needlessly violate the laws of the first realm, but instead either confine ourselves fully to the second realm or live a double life, paying taxes in the first realm and keeping its laws while we are located there and ignoring the first realm whenever we are located in the second. This also includes to not profit from first realm redistribution and to pay for the services you consume while there. While these might be hurtful suggestions to many arch-libertarians, they are not without justification. Such a behavior both protects the autonomy of the second realm 
and it also shows respect to the individual autonomy of First Realm inhabitants, even though their autonomy is wasted. In addition, it helps us make a decision to invest into the Second Realm and move there completely, fully withdrawing ourselves from the First Realm. For most of us, the move from the first to the second realm will be a progressive one, a floating scale of radicalization and involvement. Some will stop short for various reasons, bearing the consequences. To be able to implement such a progressive withdrawal and strict separation makes the drawing of boundaries between the realms necessary. The clearest of these is that our physical and digital temporary autonomous zones and any interaction between only second realm inhabitants belongs to the second realm exclusively, with everything else being in the first realm. The Second Realm Culture Introduction It is easy to understand that the development of our own culture of the second realm is necessary. But attempts to artificially create culture are not only impossible, but also counterproductive. Culture is a spontaneous order that is shaped by the individuals of a society, reflecting their individual decisions and mentalities. Nevertheless, there are several things that contribute to the formation of culture. One of the most exciting is the influence of art, music, and literature that springs from a cultural context and feeds back into it. The imagination of artists often becomes the inspiration to many. It will be exciting to see the creativity in this area. Another influence is that of necessity. Culture encodes and optimizes social interactions, which are shaped by the reality that society finds itself in. Specific challenges and threats but also abundances and blessings of environment flow into and through culture. Compare the longing songs of the desert people with the joyful dances of jungle tribes. Ethical, moral, and religious values are another point to mention. While they are often only reflections of the culture already in place, they also appear in the function of culture-founding factors. This is especially apparent in cultures that did not evolve over a long time, but rather rapidly, like much of the United States of America. The last major contributing factor of new cultural formation lies in the character of the cultural entrepreneurs. It is this boldness, courage, mental clarity, and creativity that sows the first seeds of cultural movements and founds new societies. Those who intend to partake in the formation of the Second Realm culture should do so with confidence and boldness, but also in mutual support and encouragement. Many experiments and failures will be required before any significant process takes place, and every member will partake in the formation of a new society. Therefore, we must limit ourselves to contribute to the factors of necessity and ethical values in this text but we cannot refrain to also let our dreams flow into it. A Picture Drawn The first defining factor for the culture of the Second Realm is its dual identity that consists both of the opposition of the First Realm as well as the embrace, even celebration, 
of liberty and its values. While we are on the one hand outlaws, we are not lowlifes. We are cheerful, colorful, but also serious and realistic outlaws. Our society is not homogeneous. Hierarchies are close to non-existent. Where hierarchies exist, they are through authority of knowledge, action, character, and exist only so long as they are actively supported by those affected, which is usually not very long. Instead, voluntary associations that differ in style and behavior are affiliated in a network of mutual bonds, vouchers, and personal reputations. No one leads, but many inspire. It is a dynamic, close, parallel society, sometimes hidden, a crypto-society, but always a society of cheerful outlaws who value mutual respect. Reputation and respect are probably the strongest unifying aspects. While respect is willfully extended until proven misplaced, reputation must be earned by ethical behavior and entrepreneurship. We praise those of us that are successful, those that take risks, and those that pick themselves up after failures. Honesty and contract are holy, and secrets are respected as they not only protect, but also add spice to life. Neither reputation nor respect are empty words for us. They are also ways of binding and help to mutually develop. We communicate them tangibly by vouching for others, underwriting and extending bonds to protect our business partners and peers. In this web of tangible relations, people draw each other up the ladder of affluence, but also quickly sort out evildoers and scam artists. We also respect property without becoming slaves to our hosts. Everyone makes it crystal clear where his boundaries are, and permission to enter is asked and local rule respected. Many use commonly understood symbols to quickly communicate what they are unable to tolerate on their property. However, no one has to ask for permission beyond that, or to do anything with what he owns. No one has to be consulted, nor licenses procured. Individuals operate for themselves, decentralized, spontaneous. It is easier to ask for forgiveness for honest mistakes than to ask for permission. But we are not without respected order and accepted rules. Criminals have to face the trial of their networks, and hardened thieves usually wake up with their just restitution returned to their victims. Those that come to destroy our society are not met with torches, but instead are widely shunned and ostracized, not infrequently finding their mugshots at the entry of our zones, some with not-so-friendly notes attached. Respect for property not only extends to the physical territories we occupy, it is integral to the less visible parts of our world, much of which remains unseen to observers, hidden behind encrypted, anonymous digital communication. This connects us and creates another realm where property is privacy. We protect our secrets. We value them. Protecting our privacy becomes second nature to us, liberating us from the prying eyes of our enemies. But our privacy is also a key symbol for the autonomy we live, 
we are taking back what a totalitarian outer world wants to steal from us. What fences are to atoms. Data privacy technology is to bits and bytes. We claim that both are owned by us alone. This is our place. Our places of trade arouse amazement in visitors. As a culture in exile, we have developed unusual practices of trade, with some of us excellent in tradecraft. Be it wearing masks when settling a deal, or blind handshakes to agree on prices, it only covers half of what is going on. Most trades happen in cipherspace, supported by bonds and reputations extending from the merchant's bar, where we meet face to face, to the depths of secure digital escrow platforms. Overhearing the conversations in one of our clubs irritates the neophyte. Words and customs that are unknown in the filth of the first realm, and an occasional dispute spiced with curse words like status, stasi, or parasite. Nevertheless, the newcomer will be welcomed and taught and given opportunity to prove him or herself, should he or she show willingness and skill. However, not all of us live here all the time. Many lead a double life with only an occasional visit to our markets, where they are greeted with their pseudonyms. Others operate their business half a day in the first realm and open shop in the second after sunset. Still others are true ghosts to the first realm, having no footprint there except for traveling through it from one autonomous zone to another, some of them having perfected their livelihoods in our world, but others that just cannot stand the shallowness of the other side anymore. We are tribes of mind and soul, not defined by nation or race, but by thought and substance. We are everywhere, and we are here to stay. If you expected a manual of secret handshakes, of words to use and fashion to wear, music to listen to and opinions that are required, you will be disappointed now. It is not only our job to create this culture and neatly package it for you. It is your job, and ours, to live it. Closing Remarks The development of mind tribes, the second realm, and the increasing decentralization of society is inevitable, should humanity progress further, or even survive. We can see this in a multitude of areas especially in globalization of trade. The failure of big media, individual digital communication, and the demise of nationalism. Today, people often feel nearer to others who live on the other side of the globe and subscribe to similar ideas and culture than their physical neighbors. However, this natural process of self-liberation is met by opposition because it also breaks a lot of business models threatens parasitism and the mental control over others that many people find so satisfying. It also destroys the status quo and the comfort of everyone relying on it, and it ends the equal pain for everybody meme that drives so many who are hurt and abused. While these might be big words, they are nevertheless true. If we do not act and implement more liberty, the days of humanity might well be numbered. We live in interesting times that will shape the future, 
and it is up to us to shape it in a human, a free, and an ethical way. No one else will, and it is time to stop asking for permission or looking for excuses. If you ever wanted to save the world, this is your chance. And if you just want to live rightly, yourself, and you are not interested in the big scheme of things, this is for you as well. Oh, and did we mention that it will be fun? Next Steps Should you find this strategy attractive, the question of where to go from here needs to be answered. These are some hints on how to proceed. 1. Make it your goal to achieve liberty based on this strategy, or a variation of it. 2. Tell others that you are committed to being active for liberty. 3. Dedicate some of your time on a regular basis to spend working on the second realm. 4. Start saving so you can invest into the second realm when opportunities come up. 5. Take digital privacy seriously. Start using PGP, I2P, and similar. Learn about secure behavior. 6. There are some digital autonomous zones out there. Join them and spend time building your reputation. 7. Network with others, but not only in the digital, but also in the physical. Have a few drinks together or start a project. Declare your meetings as being autonomous. 8. Give up collectivist thought, especially asking for permission and requiring others to support you before you do anything. 9. Give up the quest for philosophical homogeneity. We will always differ in the details. 10. Start or support local OTC exchangers. Build a position of digital currencies so you can partake in covert commerce. 11. Live a culture of liberty. Support the autonomy of others visibly. Respect. 12. Insert kindness and strength into the world. Charity and justice are for you to do. 13. Encourage others to work for liberty, who invest and produce. 14. If you're an artist, writer, musician, fashion designer, or whatever, run wild in creating our new culture. 15. Begin with defining your boundaries. Shun people who actively attack liberty and deny autonomy to others. If you liked this book, if this booklet helped you, gave you pleasure, or just new things to think about, please say thank you by sending us some Bitcoin to the following address. End of the Second Realm Book on Strategy